0: From the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C.
1: I am uh, Tracy Grant. I am the editor of Kids Post at the Washington Post. (laughs) That always makes me feel so good. Thank you. Um, I do want to welcome you all here on behalf Um, of the Washington Post, which is a charter sponsor of the National Book Festival. Um, But I discovered Mary Pope Osborne um, when my now 16-year-old twin sons were about six years old. And we were looking for chapter books that we could read um, and share as read-alouds. The adventures of Jack and Annie were thrilling, engaging, and educational. What more could an anxious, overachieving mother want in books for her children? But what I soon discovered about the Magic Treehouse books was that they planted their own seeds that took root and grew. I don't think I would have ever approached the subject of the Civil War with six-year-olds. But there was Civil War on Sunday, making a difficult subject accessible. There is perhaps no author who has introduced realms as diverse as the late Cretaceous, Elizabethan England, and the American Revolution to more children than Mary Pope Osborne. For that, countless parents, myself included, and even more children are eternally grateful. And so it is with great pleasure and gratitude that I introduce Mary Pope Osborne.
2: Thank you. I I don't want to be overly modest, but I thought this was from the last session. (laughs) When I was standing out here, I was waiting for it to clear out so we could start getting a little crowd for this session. When I did my first book signing ever in the late 80s, one person showed up with a child in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, and that person I started reading from a little picture book I had, and the woman started yelling at me to shut up because it was scaring her child. (laughs) And I realized that the one person who had come was insane. (laughs) And all the store employees were so embarrassed they ran and hid in the back of the store and I was just left out there with the situation. But it's wonderful and it's gratifying beyond words. And third time I've been to the National Book Festival and I keep saying it's the best organized, most joyful festival an author could ever attend. And you guys. The Library of Congress, the staff that has been helping us since yesterday and will continue through tomorrow, is extraordinary. And Washington is so lucky to have this event and these people trying to usher the city into the world of reading. I just love it and hope I can come back every time. Magic Treehouse started over 20 years ago. My publisher, Random House, asked me to think of writing a series. I'd written a lot of books before, but mythology, folklore, fairy tales, biographies, mysteries, picture books, novels. And I kind of wanted to do time travel, because Nabley and I, my sister, grew up on military bases all over, and I loved travel, and I'd done quite a bit of it on my own. And I wanted to go around the world in my head and learn new things. So. First I tried a magic artist studio. No, the first one was a magic cellar. And you went down into the cellar and you blew on magic whistles. And I wrote a whole book about that. And it was just awful. None of it made sense. Where was this cellar from? You know, who, who put the whistles there? So then I tried a magic uh, museum and you went into the museum and there was a crazy lady running the museum and anything you touched, she'd put a spell on it and you'd go back to the time of the artifact. That one didn't work either. Then I tried a magic artist studio and you went into the woods and found the artist studio and there were these fabulous murals and you could step into the different murals and go back in time. The truth is I wrote seven different drafts of a time travel book, none of them worked I truly had decided to give it up and go back to the writing I was doing uh, elsewhere, and then my husband and I—we lived in New York City, but we had a little cabin in Pennsylvania. And we took a walk one day, and there was an old tree house, and it was all falling down. And both of us said, "Boy, I wish I'd had a tree house when I was little." We loved trees in my family. We always chose our favorite trees everywhere we moved. And suddenly, I don't know us said it, my husband or I, what about a magic treehouse? And we went home that night, and talked about it till midnight, and we're coming up with really complicated ways the tree house worked and why it worked. And in the end, we just stuffed it with books. And books would be the magic vehicle, open one, and you'd go back to that place if you were in the magic tree house. I did not know until the fourth magic tree house where those books came from. So if you think we know everything when we start, it's often a process of discovery, even to this day. I do the books and sets of quartets, there's an overriding theme, and sometimes I am so anxious to get back to an earlier one to change something based on what I've learned today, and hopefully it hasn't gone to press yet. So all of this has been an evolving process now for 20 years, And a big, big component, the one that I truly credit with the success of this series is the fact that teachers picked up on these books many years ago and shared them with their students. I'm a teacher nut. And for for any teachers out there, I hope you'll look up my new website, uh, mthclassroomadventures.com, which is a program just for teachers free of charge, with a lesson plan for every book, cross-curriculum study, and it's, it's something we've devoted two years to. And if you're, if you're a Title I teacher, you can apply to get a grant of free books uh, sent to your classroom. So that's one of our most exciting projects right now. So this has been an ongoing fruitful adventure that never ceases to give more than whatever it is that we're giving because of all the people involved in it now. We're working, I'm working on my 50th Magic Treehouse. I had only contracted to do four when <laughs> I started and then I did four more and then I thought it would just kill me to do four more because I wouldn't have any more ideas after that. And then what I learned is the world is an infinite place of subjects and interests, and it just keeps growing and growing with new ideas. So the book that just came out is A Perfect Time for Pandas. And Natalie's book, Natalie writes the nonfiction. She's done 20 of them. My husband did the first eight. So we have about 26 in print of these and two more coming out to go with the fiction. And we did these books for the teachers. So you could take a subject, help kids cross the bridge to reading, make it fun, and then say, and if you wanna know more, take this book. And hopefully this will be the beginning of many books that other people write. And, and the world will just become more and more magical to the readers and in the classroom, hopefully. So, yesterday, I have to tell you, because it's so perfect, the timing. As you all have to know, there was a baby panda born at the zoo. Yay. And, and, And I had just set this book in a panda preserve in China in 2008. And I don't know if everyone knows this, but it's easy to find out about it. In 2008. There was the great Sichuan earthquake in southwest China in which thousands of people were killed. But along with the destruction of habitat for people, there was a terrible destruction of a panda habitat. There was a wonderful panda reserve in this area where they were breeding pandas, They had incubators with baby pandas, and they had a kindergarten of pandas, all these one and two year olds playing on slides and swings, and the pictures are wonderful. And then the grown up pandas, and they were working night and day to keep these pandas protected from the the destruction of the bamboo forest all around them. Well, during this earthquake, their, res- their reserve was destroyed. But miraculously, only one panda died when uh, uh, her little concrete house folded in on her. But the others were found. A lot of them escaped the confines. And you had babies and big ones being picked up by these wonderful workers who then got them to other places in China. And today, they're rebuilding that site in another location. So my love for pandas made me wanna write about this reserve and get Jack and Annie to go there and to be involved with the day-to-day work of taking care of pandas. Because if you're, you don't go there as a tourist, or you didn't, you went there as a volunteer and you put on the volunteer clothes and. You just worked around the panda place, cleaning up and and feeding, and you never could touch one though, and as you cannot at the zoo either. They wanna keep them in as natural a world as they possibly can, with humans a little at a distance, but at the same time caring for them. So Jack and Annie have gone to the reserve and had a wonderful time and fallen in love with the pandas, and they're starting back on these mountain bikes down a hillside, to get back to the town of Wulong, which was part of that community. And on the way, the earthquake starts, and the ground shakes. And whereas they were once in the San Francisco earthquake, the buildings were falling. Now the mountains are falling, and giant boulders are coming down. And Jack and Annie jump off their bikes, and they're hiding in a little crevice of a mountain and they barely survive, and when they come out with all the dust and craziness in the air and the fallen foliage, boulders have crushed their mountain bikes, and there's, there's destruction. They don't know if they should go to town and escape in the treehouse, or should they go back and help the pandas? Well, you know Jack and Annie. They have to go help the pandas. So how are they gonna get over the boulders that have fallen onto the mountain road they just happen to have a potion from Merlin that'll make you five times your normal size. So they take a sip of the potion and suddenly there's an aftershock and Jack drops the bottle and the shock stops but Jack doesn't stop shaking and he grows and he grows and he grows. Jack felt as if someone were gripping his head and pulling him up up and up he looked down and watched his arms and hands and legs stretch out jack rocked back and forth and stood still he had stopped stretching and growing his shoes clothes and backpack had all grown bigger to fit his new body jack annie sounded far away peering through the dust jack looked for annie jack down here jack looked down annie was standing next to him she only came up to his knees I dropped the bottle and it broke, she said. I didn't get to drink the potion. Oh, no, Jack boomed. Even his voice was bigger. I'm so sorry. You're huge, said Annie. How does it feel? Is it fun? That's such an Annie question in the middle of a disaster. But I love the art by Sal Merdaga of Jack being 25 feet tall. This is one of my favorite illustrations. Sal has done every single book of mine and Natalie's and he's still working hard. He's an incredible illustrator. Well, anyway, we ha- we know that Jack's gonna get back to the panda reserve and eventually help the baby pandas. And when he gets there, of course, there's still a baby in an incubator, incubator they've set up with um, a reserve electrical system, and the rest of them are on cell phones and flashlights and trying to check everything out. So it's Jack and Annie's job to take some of their little baby friends back to Wulong in a helicopter. And so the story goes along those lines. And in the end of this book, there's a resolution to a four-story mystery involving our friends back in Camelot. At any rate, Natalie's book covers pandas and other endangered species. A wonderful picture on the front of a teeny weeny baby. Well, when we heard about the newborn baby in Washington, it was especially exciting, because the curator there who instructed everyone on the panda birth, was our expert for the book. So Natalie and Brandy Smith had been in contact for the entire time Natalie was working on this book. So we went there yesterday, and you can't see the baby. I'm telling you this so you'll all go there, though. You go into the ticket area and there's the baby and the mother on the cam, which you can get on your computers. And this is historic. You have to see this because as you probably read in the papers, nobody knew the mother was pregnant. She'd had false pregnancies and she had made little nests and nothing had happened. Well, late one night, one of the panda keepers was looking at the mother in her little cage and looking at her behaviors. And this is the middle of the night and suddenly she hears squeaking. Now these babies are so tiny, she couldn't see anything, but she heard the squeaking. This panda had given birth once before, and when she first, I love this story, we heard it yesterday, six years ago, she had her one and only other baby. When she had the baby, she didn't know what it was, and she was real shocked, and she picked it up and looked at it, and then the next thing you know, they're good mothers, and she's an especially good mother. She embraced this tiny, tiny baby. And so they heard the squeaking, and the whole zoo started calling each other. She called someone, they called someone, they called someone. By 3.30 in the morning, there were 13 news networks outside the, the Washington Zoo, because we want to keep the story alive to help protect the pandas and all these animals. And now they watch it on a camera. No one will go in and bother the mother. She, yesterday was a big day. She had not eat, drink, uh, had a drunk drink of water in five days. With her last baby, she drank some water on the fifth day. So they're all holding their breath, hoping she'd come out to drink some water. She's not eating a thing. She could go up to a month not eating. And the baby's being nursed, so it doesn't need anything. The funny thing is, when she had the baby, there was this ball, like a tether ball, in her cage. And of course they don't want it there, because anything could crush the baby, and they have to keep it there. So they're going to wait and see when she's ready to step out for a little water, and then they'll take the time every day, step out for a little food, and the first time she's out of the cage for maybe 15 minutes, they'll rush in, grab the ball, and check the baby out, and then rush back out. So she hopefully won't even know they've been in there. So the whole place is you know, in this dramatic position right now, and you can see on the camera the same thing they're watching. And so so we caught a little sight of the baby's head, just for a second, right up here under the mother's chin. But I wanted Natalie to read the two pages that kind of give you kids more information on baby pandas, because we had learned this, and it helped our visit yesterday so much.
0: Well, I'm sure all of you know this, but a baby panda is about the size of a stick of butter. It has no hair and it can't regulate its body temperature, so the mother has to hold it very tightly all the time so the warmth of her body keeps it alive. And the babies are very, very weak. They can't move by themselves. They're pink and they're blind. (laughs) And they have a little covering of white hair. Uh, In a little over a week, dark patches appear on their skin where the fur will be black. Because a cub doesn't have much fur, it depends on its mother for warmth. For a few weeks, the baby never leaves the mother's body. Panda mothers do a good job of feeding and cleaning their helpless babies. And I'm sure all of you know, too, that a panda mother has to be especially careful not to fall asleep and roll over on this little, tiny animal that they're holding on to. So Mary and I had a wonderful time yesterday at the National Zoo. You guys are enormously lucky that you can avail yourself of this incredible place. And I just want to put in a plug for them as well as for endangered species and pandas. Now, I want to add just one little thing that I haven't discussed with Mary, and that's many people ask me what Mary is really like. (laughs) I'm her older sister by about six years, but somehow, the status has changed. <laughs> she, she's been at this a lot longer than I am and I listen very carefully to everything she says. The only thing I can say about Mary that would be out of the picture that you have of her as a warm, smart, loving, incredible person is that she can't control her dogs. <laughs> she has three of the worst dogs, the naughtiest dogs in Litchfield County. And one time, they're they're in America. (laughs) (laughs) And they're Norfolk Terriers and a little poodle mix. And they're they're actually smarter than Mary. I hate to to tell you. But one time when they were very, very little and Mary was out for the evening, they disemboweled a couch. (laughs) And Mary came back to find it. And she was so amused that she put police tape, do not cross the barrier, (laughs) and took lots of pictures of them. She's fairly hopeless as far as her dogs go, (laughs) but everything else that you think about her is absolutely true. And if I don't give the microphone back to her in a few minutes, I'm probably in trouble.
2: (laughs) My dogs, I have to say this about my dogs. Thank you, Natalie. (laughs) The reason my dogs are so bad, mothers take heed, is that I laugh so hard at all their badness. It's so terrible. When they did that total destruction of my office, I did, I put tape all around it, and I and put a sign, Police Zone, so when my husband came home, he could just enjoy the frolic of this torn up room. <laughs> but they do keep me laughing, and one of my secrets of writing that I want to share also with would-be children's writers, or children who write, is that I take lots of breaks all day long. It seems like I work all the time wrong. I work in five and 10 minute spurts, and that sort of replenishes my mind, and I run into a problem with Jack and Annie, and I just take a break and I play with the dogs or make a cup of tea, but the dogs are a great diversion. You've gotta keep it fun. I don't believe in writer's block, and I think that if people get too pressured about creating with language, they're they're stuck. You've gotta make it more lighthearted. You've gotta enjoy it. You can write about serious things, guys, but you have to know that it's fun. It's make-believe. You're using your imagination. And you rewrite, and you rewrite, and you rewrite. And it gets better, hopefully, every time. Right now, I'm working on a new Magic Treehouse. Natalie's working on a new um, Fact Tracker book. and. I would like the kids in the audience to raise their hands and be very honest, because I get my best information from children. I do a little market research every time I step on a stage, and it really, really matters. How many, well, put your hands down, and then I'll ask the question. (laughs) How many kids, and this is so important for me to know, believe it, have ever heard of a person named Houdini? Okay. Well, that's helpful because it's not every kid. So I'm going to have to explain more than I might have thought about who Houdini was. Houdini was a famous magician and escape artist. And Jack and Annie, in my new book that I'm working on right now, I've got to get back and finish it up, are helping Houdini put on a magic show in Coney Island, New York, in the early part of the 1900s. And they're going to do their own magic. And Natalie's book, her research guidebook is going to be 50 Magic Tricks that kids can do themselves. So we're excited about that book. She's been working very hard and making everyone crazy doing magic tricks, and nobody wants to watch or you know pay attention, but she does her research. So we're working on those books. We just finished another book that's not out yet, another pair of books. I decided in this quartet to explore greatness. Who is great and why? What is greatness? Merlin wants to know. Learn a secret of greatness. And he sends Jack and Annie back to four people who have great in the title of their name. The first one is Alexander the Great. And they're going to go back and train his horse, Bucephalus because their magic is for one hour, they can be great, Jack and Annie, at anything they want for one hour and then it's going to end. So they choose to become great horse trainers and, and train this incredible horse. And Natalie's book is going to be on horse heroes, the history of horses, and hopefully educate everyone about how astonishing those animals are. After that, we have Houdini. And after that, we have you vote on four ideas that I'm thinking about. now. All the kids, I actually would like parents to vote too because you're stuck with these books often, (laughs) sharing them with your kids. I have four ideas and you can only vote one time. I'll say all four ideas first and this vote will probably determine what I write about. I'm thinking of writing, I need another great. I'm thinking of writing about Catherine the Great in Russia. Now, that's not a really you know, appealing topic necessarily, but I could trick everybody and call it Wonders of the Winter Palace and do St. Petersburg in the snow with Jack and Annie in a sleigh and pull you into an, a magical time. Natalie's book, this is a hard one because we're not necessarily going to do Catherine the Great, will be a book on famous queens. Now, I imagine that's more of a girl book but we still think it would be a really wonderful topic with Elizabeth and Catherine and Maria Teresa and maybe four or five famous women in history. The other subject is World Cup soccer, and Jack and Annie could maybe go to Brazil, South America, they've never been, and have an adventure in a World Cup soccer game and become great for one hour. The third one is, oh, this is funny, at the zoo yesterday I said to Brandy Smith, what animals do kids love? We've done penguins, we've done um, pandas, tigers, lions. These are all popular. Polar bears. Can you think of something we haven't done? To my surprise, and guys, I'll need you to really feedback on this in a minute, hippos. So immediately, this is the way I think, I go hippos on holiday. I don't know what that means or where they'll be. And the last idea was that they go visit an ancient Mayan village, uh, Mayan Indians in Mexico, and have an adventure with eagle warriors. And Jack might even become an eagle warrior. How many in the audience most want Magic Treehouse to go to Wonders of the Winter Palace? Be honest. Good. Okay. Very good. How many most want them to go to a World Cup soccer game? Ah, okay, very interesting. I, I'm afraid I haven't done enough with sports. How many most want hippos on holiday?
0: <laughs>
2: wow. Well, wow. okay. How many most want Mayans? Evening of the Eagle. You know, the bad news here for me is that Catherine the Great was not a big hit, but yeah. <laughs> I like it because her name says The Great. But there was a Mayan king whose name was The Great, too. Pollock the Great. I could do him. Now, I was thinking of Pele the Great, but he's still alive. And I don't know if I can do that. I have to talk to a lawyer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm motivated. I will do that. And then maybe we'll do our hippos and some of these others after that. Now we're going to take a few minutes for questions. and. Um, Let me just see, I think you step up to the mic and talk real loudly and clearly so everybody can hear. And we'll take about um, three or four questions on this side and three or four questions on that side. I'm afraid we won't have time to do all our questions. Yes, you step up to the mic, sweetheart, yes. In the orange shirt, you? Yeah, you, you. Jack and Annie books have you written well I've written 28 of the the first Jack and Annie books and then I've written another uh, uh, 28 no no uh, 20 30 of the Merlin missions of the Merlin Bush mission books so no that's not right I can't do math I've written 28 and 20 Mm. and then I have two more yet to come out Thank you for your question. And we have 23 of the Fact Tracker books. Yes. What is your favorite book? Well, I happen to have a soft spot for a stage fright on a summer night because I love going to the Globe Theater in England and studying Shakespeare there and getting Jack and Annie on stage because I love theater. And we're writing now a number of Magic Treehouse plays for kids to do. So that's a big fun topic for us and always has been for my husband and myself another question um, have you ever think, thought of doing um, uh, Mount st Helen's Mount st Helen's no that's a lovely idea I did do vacation under the volcano if you love volcanoes yes. you can go to Pompeii but it would be really cool to have one uh, you know in America I'll have to think about that any somebody over here
0: what gave you, what gave you a what gave you the idea for the Merlin Missions and for the um, Magic House itself, pretty much?
2: Well, I wanted to do books that were twice as long as the first 28 and were a little more difficult. So if you started the first ones at first and second grade, you could move on third grade and fourth and maybe enjoy a much longer story with more information. So I decided to call those the Merlin Missions. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Um, that for the... Um, for the for the winter of the ice wizard, yeah, that happened between. Did did you did you get in a fight with your sister, like so kind of like that? No,
2: I didn't really get in a fight with my sister. <laughs> but that's a good question. That's very original. Witcher the ice wizard. I took most of that story from Norse mythology. So if you love mythology, that's where I got some of the ideas for the Norns and the ice giant, the ice wizard, the frost giant. Um, I love mythology. If you guys love to write, read mythology, read history, just make your mind more and more filled with information all the time. I think pretty soon we're gonna have to close. I'm gonna take, if you guys have questions that I don't get to, if you come to the book signing, maybe you can quickly ask me in line so we don't hold up too long here because I'm, I'm, I'm starting to run out of time, and there's just a couple of more things I want to say, yes. When did you write your first book? I wrote my very first book in my whole life in 1980, which is 32 years ago, have I done the math? <laughs> and then I wrote my first Magic Treehouse book 20 years ago, and we're having our 20th anniversary this year, yes. What inspired you to do time travel? My love for history, other cultures, mythology, fantasy, it puts everything I love, and my brothers and sisters, sister, when I was growing up in the military, we were each other's best friends, we did everything together, and we always used our imaginations, and I carry that over into Treehouse, and I want brothers and sisters and sisters and sisters and brothers and brothers to play together and have fun together and work out your differences, That's one of the biggest messages in Magic Treehouse. And I'll tell you, in the Houdini book, they get in a big fight. And Jack leaves Annie. And that's the first time that I think of. Probably there's another time. So I'm working on that relationship, and that has really been so much fun. So any more? Well, guys, you have to do one more at the mic here. Um, My brother wants to know if you built a treehouse in your own backyard. Well, what we did is we built a new house, and we put a treehouse on top of the house. So you go up this long winding staircase, and you get to a little place that has windows that look out over uh, the land and the lake, and it's up in the trees. So we call that our magic treehouse. Thank you. Yeah, I try to escape my dogs up there, but they follow me. They work their way up the winding staircase every time. Another question over here? Did Houdini have a magic show? Yeah, he did. Look him up on the internet. It's fascinating what he could do. He could escape anything. He was a genius of escape. But I'm gonna tell you the ending I wrote yesterday. Jack and Annie show him their escape in the magic tree house. Because he says he's never found an escape he couldn't duplicate. And he longs to see something he cannot understand. So as a gift to him, they say, come with us, they're time to go, and they disappear in the treehouse. So I don't know what he was left thinking. He's still standing there in Coney Island trying to figure it out. Let me take one more question. Did you ever write a book about wolves? No, but I have wolves in um, the Ice Wizard book. They're very frightening, Uh, but there's a secret. They're not really wolves. But if you like wolves, check it out. Uh, Winter you. the Ice Wizard. Thank you. And also, oh, one of our favorite books of all time was on dogs, and mine was Dogs in the Dead of Night about um, big St. Bernard's, and Jack and Annie turn into dogs. Now, you can imagine how I love that. I actually pretended to be a dog for about 10 minutes with my dogs, and I got all the research I needed. But Natalie's book was on dog heroes, and she talks a lot there about the wolves and the history of dogs coming from the Gray Wolf. I finally, I just wanna say, please, I hope that any educators will uh, take advantage of the website, take advantage if you uh, qualify for the book grants and make the reading as fun as you can with our help as much as you can and hopefully, we'll get kids all over this country reading because if you don't read by the end of third grade, you may never catch up in this culture and more likely to drop out of high school, more likely to go to prison someday. So we could, I don't want to scare anybody. <laughs> forget heed, I said that. Take heed, <laughs> take heed. But the point is we should all put our attention as a country on reading for children. Thank you so much.
0: This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.